Hello and welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up this week. That was the very hard part of our first year. It was like, so like, if we don't see them, where and how are we going to find them in the city? That's Faustine Badrachani, and she's talking about older women in New York City, the absolute driving force behind her business, Woolen. Stay tuned. Yeah, hello, welcome back. This is episode 47 of the Better Business Show. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for coming back to us. I hope you're all good and enjoying the festive season, which is, well, very much in full swing now. Uh, All working hard, all of us, to just try and grab a few days off off over the coming weeks. Um, And I've just been doing uh, my end-of-year newsletter, something I did did last year, just to kind of let everyone know what we've been up to these past 12 months at Narrative Matters. And it just, wow, you just think, well, what a year, what a year. So many great clients, so many great projects, and uh, I just had some real fun this year, not least with this podcast. Um, but it's not until you kind of boil it all down and write it down, condense your kind of highlights of the year that you realize that, um, well, I just really love doing what I'm doing. Um, yeah, recommend it if it's something that you uh, can do yourselves. It uh, just makes makes you have a real sense of achievement of what you've achieved over the last sort of year. Um, anyway, we've got another great show lined up this week. Um, I've taken a bit of a backseat this time, and we've got a few other voices telling the stories this time around. Vicky Knowles is one of those. Uh, you'll know Vicks from our Friday Five uh, podcast. Um, which if you haven't checked out, we do a, a, a 10 minute news digest every Friday now. Uh, so Vicky joins me, joins me for that. Um, but Vix has taken over the main story this time. She's going to be talking to the woman behind Woolen, uh, a New York City uh, company making beanie hats. Uh, it's a lot more interesting than it sounds, I promise. Uh, so more on that very shortly indeed. And then I'm delighted to have Gareth Kane on the show this week. Gareth uh, gives us his top 10 worst sustainability ideas and how you can learn from them. So stay tuned for that later on in the show. Now, my dad is about to retire. Christmas Eve is his last day in full-time employment. Uh, Big shout-out to my dad. I know he never listens to the show, but maybe he will. Now he's going to have more time on his hands. Um, Anyway, you know, he should have retired a while back, but like so many older people, he's continued to work into older age. Uh, In the US, where the number of senior citizens in the workforce has nearly tripled since the 1970s, older workers are also increasingly working full-time jobs instead of part-time jobs. And actually, in 1995, seniors working full-time overtook their part-time peers. And that's a trend that's just continued. The Bureau of Labour Statistics projects that the participation rate of workers aged 65 and older will rise to 23% in 2020. In the last decade, the average age of the US labour force has increased by around five years. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with any of this. You know, working lives are being extended because life expectancies are increasing, public health's improving, and employers are actually starting to value older workers more. Here in the UK, Barclays Bank and National Express both recently announced apprenticeship schemes aimed at older workers, putting them in the forefront of their corporate initiatives to really widen the age diversity of workforces. The National Express scheme aims to recruit people for whom age and extended career breaks compose a barrier to finding employment, including the over 50s, women returning to work after having kids, the long-term, uh, the long-term unemployed and full-time carers. 
And companies are really starting to realise the value of having a diverse workforce, reflecting, as it does, their broad customer base and the wide range of skills and experience on offer. No better is that being realised than at the DIY store B&Q, which has long championed employing older staff that have the real knowledge about doing stuff around the house that, let's face it, the new generation just can't be arsed with. McDonald's and the pub company JD Weatherspoons are also companies that are now getting in on the act uh, in encouraging older people to apply for jobs at their businesses. But imagine a company whose sole reason for existing is to give jobs to older people. We asked Vicky Knowles to go out in search of such a company and this week she tells the brilliant story of Woolen, a company based out in New York City which is making high-end beanie hats and other knitted goods entirely handmade by older ladies in the community. Here's Vic's in conversation with co-founder Faustine Badrachani. Hope you enjoy this one. Hi Faustine, thanks so much for coming on the Better Business Show today. Yeah, Hello. Hey, um, it's it's also great to have some some more of our friends across the pond being on the podcast, uh, as you guys are based in New York. So um, for those who haven't heard Woolen, um, though the name might be a bit of a giveaway, can you tell us a bit about the company? Yeah, so Woolen is um, selling its second collection, and Woolen is based in New York. And the way we work, we have we sell. A full line of accessories uh, that are all hand knitted here in New York by grandmothers. Uh, so right now we have a team of ten knitters, and they all knit at their own pace. And all our uh, beanies and snoots uh, are handmade here. So it's like it's a local business, and it's socially responsible because we've decided to work with this uh, population. Uh, of retirees, women, and to include them back into the active workforce and to value their talents. So that's the uh, the whole idea behind uh, behind Woolen. And um, so I'm doing this with my partner Margot, and we're both French, and we're both French transplants in New York. And that was a big part too of starting Woolen was the assessment that. Uh, in Europe, maybe, and in France specifically, um, we're more surrounded by elders and we, they're more part of the population. And we, when we moved to New York, we didn't see them as much and they weren't as included in the active workforce. So we've decided to do something for them and to bring them back into the community and, yeah, and introduce them to a community of buyer and and work with them very closely so they would maybe feel less lonely and less, I don't know, less, yeah, secluded in a way. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting um, that the, the culture around that is quite different sort of in Europe um, compared to the US. But um, I mean, that's definitely one of the aspects about Woolen that interested me and many other media outlets. It's that your products are knitted by like these senior citizens. It's amazing. Um, and I've looked on your website and you've got like mini interviews with them and they seem also full of personality. So like, how did you go about hiring them? Where, you know, where did you go? So that was the very hard part of our first year. It was like, so like if we don't see them, where and how are we going to find them in the city? And so the way, I mean, we've done it very, like we've been doing like field trips. We would just like hike the like Manhattan and Brooklyn and just go like to all the senior centers. 
Um, and senior centers are places where seniors go like to have their lunch, to have activities, to have like a bunch of different things they can do. Um, so we would just go like to senior centers in all different neighborhoods uh, in Manhattan and Brooklyn and the Bronx and the Queens uh, everywhere. And we would put up flyers asking for experienced knitters who want to get paid for their talent. Um, and we would just like wait for someone to to call us or email us. So the first year uh, we started, we had like only four knitters. And then, like, it's just, like, word of mouth, I guess, it snowballed into, like, a lot more people. So now we have, we're working with 10 of them, and we feel it would be easy to actually, like, work with 20 or 30 of them because, I don't know, everyone's getting more interested, and everyone has a friend who has a friend who wants to knit. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, it's this, yeah, it's it's getting easier to, to find knitters now for us. <laughs> yeah, definitely, like, word of mouth. <laughs> um I mean, as you say, like, I think the workforce definitely neglects senior citizens and retirees. So, I mean, in your experience, what's, what's been like the business incentive for, for hiring um, this age of people? For, for them, you mean for them to work for us? Um, or for, for uh, us actually, both. Work? Both is good. Yeah. Okay. So like from their perspective. Um, I think the money was like to us, we thought it would be like a great incentive. We re realize it's only like part of the incentive for them. Um, those ladies, you know, they would be knitting anyway, like knitting is their passion. They've been doing it for so long. They have a lot of, a lot of time. So pretty much they all knit all day and they knit for charities and they knit for their grandchildren. So it was just like they would get paid for something they would do anyway. So I think that was pretty attractive to them. And beyond that, it's it's really more about like how they feel and like for them being part of Woolen is is like they're they feel valued. They feel their their talents is put in the forefront. Um, and also like they they enjoy being part of something else. Uh, most of them, they've been retired for like five to ten years, or even more for some of them. And all of a sudden, they like they give interviews for like we have interviews with them, and they people buy like buy like are willing to spend money for something they've done, and I think it means a lot uh, for them. So like the psychological part is a huge part for for them to be willing to to knit for woolen and for us it doesn't impact our bottom line but it just feels really good and very right to have them be part of a, a team and a cool project yeah what what do you think is the benefit also of having that kind of age you know compared to younger people i mean the whole company is the, the reason why we do it is is just to have this kind of work first. It's not like for us, it's not so much, oh, let's make knits and let's sell hats and let's see who can do it. It's like the idea behind Woolen is really like, oh, let's have seniors and retirees be part of the active workforce. So what, like, how can we work with them? And that's how Woolen was born is really like the way we, we've done it. It's, Everything is about the seniors. Everything is is about having them uh, work and use their talents. And this is also, yeah, I think it's that's what I was saying at the beginning. It's a lot because we we didn't see a lot of them uh, in the city, and so we just wanted to do something with them that would imply them. And yeah, 
So that was the whole idea of Woolen is actually to work with uh, with senior leaders. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any Woolen. Or, um, and the idea is not to be selling beanies. It's really to be working with seniors. I've got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like integrated into the company itself. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I saw your... Um, YouTube video, uh, Brick TV, I think it was, um, yes. is that a little short video about you guys and, and some of your knitters were on there. And it's such a cool little community you've made. It's, it's like really fun. Um, and so I know you said at the beginning as well that how long it takes for your knitters to make a hat, say, it does vary. But like, I mean, how rough, how long roughly? I, I mean, some knitters are really fast, but um, I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, it depends. Like we have a whole range of different items and different yarn and some yarn it's really fast but some knitters don't like that for some reason and we have like this very thin alpaca thread that takes a longer time and of course like we the price we we pay to the knitters depends on like how long it's going to take even though like we know like not everyone knits at the same pace but I, I I'd say like one item can range like from like an hour and a half to probably like eight hours or seven hours. Mm. And then like, it's interesting. Like they don't like some of them, they like to knit like multiple things at the same time. Others, they're just going to focus on one product and like they're the specialist of this uh, specific product and they don't want to do anything else. So everyone's different. And also like all, like some of them, they just want to keep knitting all the time. Some others, they take their time, they have their own project and stuff. So it's like, it's very adjustable. Like we really work with them according to what they want. That's pretty much the way we do it. Mm, that sounds like a, a really cool arrangement, actually. Um, so obviously your your products are on the luxe end of the market. Um, See, so I think you start at $65 up to 195 I think it was. Um, so how, how are consumers responding? Are they, are they willing to pay the prices for this handmade product? Yeah, I mean, of course, like we do notice that selling a $95 beanie is easier than sell a $175 beanie. But then like, I feel people do understand that it's a local business. We have a local um, local people working for us. So, of course, it's not going to be the same price as a made in China uh, product. And also, it's all handmade, not machine made. So, people are really willing to pay the price to have like something that's personal like really when you receive the beanie it comes like with this tag with the name of the knitter and it, it almost feels like she's been making it for you for so it's I think people really understand like what we do and how we do it and so the price makes makes sense to to them like we even have people saying like oh like it's not even that expensive given that it's handmade and it's all like alpaca and cashmere and very premium materials so no we do like I feel the price feels right uh, right now uh, because it comes with the like all the attributes it's like premium quality, it's handmade, it's locally made, so it makes sense to them, to the buyers. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, I guess you're also paying for that expertise because it's one thing to be spending an hour and a half knitting, but they're very good at it as well. You know, if you got meat in it for an hour and a half, it wouldn't be half as good. Yeah, <laughs> they've been knitting for like 50 years, I think, on average. Yeah, so they've got all that experience. Um, so, yeah, you've been touching on the yarn. Um, tell us about that Um about maybe the benefits, I know you use uh, alpaca wool and um, about where you source it from. Yeah, so we've we've made a, 
a point in like trying to find a yarn that we love, that we found like soft enough for our line. And that was also like sustainable and ethically sourced just because it made sense with, I mean, with the, with our values and with, with our company, it's like, it's a whole unity. So like we couldn't go with some like acrylic uh, yarn that's made in China again or something. So we, we're working with one company that sources yarn from Peru and Bolivia, and they work with uh, local artisans, um, mostly women. They're very big on helping the women community there. Uh, and it's like, yeah, it's, we have merino wool and alpaca wool, and they're both like from Southern South America. Uh, and they they track their production and they work with local artisans. Uh, it's a small company, and they like to us, it's the best yarn we've found. It's like super soft, and they have like all kind of very good colors that match what we want to do with woolen. So we've been just working with them for the past two years, and yeah, that's really cool. Um, was that something you you seek you sought out? So were you looking for a company that? That had that socially minded attribute or was it more about you wanted the softest wool or a bit of both no it was a bit of both and like to be perfectly honest at the like our first idea was to source uh, a very soft yarn in the u.s just to have like a hundred percent made in the usa uh hats mm. but we couldn't find like something that was that that worked for us so we went like we've been like expanding and looking for for something that would come like from somewhere else, like not necessarily the USA. And like really the, the yarn we found it was the only one that had, that was like sustainable and soft. So we went for that. Yeah, fair enough. Cool. Um, okay. Well, I mean, obviously these, these products are quite seasonal. I definitely like wearing a hat at this time of year, but um, so are you thinking of maybe expanding the range and offering different products in uh, the summer, say, I don't know. No, so, I mean, like, given our business model, it makes a lot of sense for us to be doing, like, accessories and smaller things. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, like a beanie is very personal. It's, like, the thing you buy at the beginning of the season and you're going to wear it all winter, so it's very special. Mm-hmm. Um, and with our business model, it doesn't, like, for, it doesn't make sense for now to start making sweaters because it takes, like... Obviously, it takes a lot of yarn and it takes more time. So the price points, I mean, like we don't, yeah, that's not something we, we want to do now. It would be like a very, very luxurious um, product. So we feel more comfortable selling like beanies that range from 100 to $200 than like going, like doing sweaters for $1,000. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. And- However, we are like, so for now we're based in New York, but my partner Margot just moved to LA, and the idea is to take the business by coastal and like start having knitters uh, in Los Angeles and like have and sell more uh, on the West Coast. So that's more the plan for the next years to come. Exciting. So, would you sell them all year round, or is it more based in the winter, really? Um, I think we're gonna focus on winter. Uh, we're also like big advocate of slow fashion so we don't want to overwhelm the markets with like going like starting doing like two collections or three collections so we really want to focus on what we do best uh and so for now it's really like one collection a year like just design eight products 
and yeah, and take it slowly. That's really what is something we want to do and we believe in. That's exciting. So yeah, so you're expanding to LA. Um, is there anything else in the pipeline for you guys? Uh, no, but like every like LA is a big step for us because it's like it feels like we have to do everything over again. Like go again to senior centers and find more people who need and so it's like all starting again which is exciting yeah at least you've got this under your belt now you've done it in one city yeah, exactly. <laughs> so can you knit are you knitting yourself yeah so like it's interesting margot she's like she's the knitter like she's been knitting for 10 years she's been working in the yarn industry so she really she really had that angle oh, wow. uh, and she ta- she's the one who taught me how to knit and now I'm I'm obsessed with knitting. I just have I, I just knit all the time. I have a project going on uh, all the time. And so like to do the patterns, it's really like both of us because she knows more. She's more experienced. But I have like this. I'm new to it, so I'm willing to um, I guess to explore more. And I'm super creative. I'm also an artist, so I have oh. like other ideas. So I think we we have a good. I mean, yeah, we're complete. Like we. We can work together to find new patterns and new products all the time, which is interesting. That's cool. What, what are you knitting at the minute? Uh, I'm doing my first sweater. <laughs> wow, that's really brave. They're hard. They're really hard. <laughs> I was thinking of finishing off. Um, so obviously we've got a lot of listeners who um, are interested in doing business better, as the name of the show suggests. So do you have any advice Um for those who might want to do things in a more socially minded or ethical way, like maybe what you've learned along the way? Mm, I think the biggest lesson for me was to learn to be patient uh, because everything takes so much longer than, than what we think. I don't think it's specific to working in sustainable fashion. I just think it's like, it's, just like entrepreneurship, it's it takes everything takes a long time. And being an entrepreneur, like I find myself being like super enthusiastic and wanting things to happen like all of a sudden. And like it doesn't it doesn't happen this way. You have to be patient and wait and wait on people, which is fine once you can accept that it takes longer longer than you thought. So that's my only advice, like, be patient, don't rush things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, good luck with um, all your endeavours, and I, yeah, your company is so cool, and um, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. Vicky Knowles there in conversation with Faustine Badrachani, co-founder of Woolen. What a great idea. Such a, a novel concept that really taps into this notion of finding those with the best skills to do the job and then going out and making it happen. And let's face it, if you're running a business that's all about knitted goods, then there's no one better in the world than a grandmother to do that knitting. Uh, just brilliant. Um, if you want to find out more, head to the website. It's woolen-ny.com. Uh, woolen spelt w-o-o-l-n hyphen ny.com um, and stay tuned yeah as the business heads out to la next year as Faustine just said now i know we have many sustainability practitioners you know those working with businesses whose task it is to really rally the troops set goals make those improvements sell the concept of sustainability to the board and internally and so on and so on 
Uh, we've got many of you guys listening to the show, as I know. Um, well, this next segment of the show is for you. I asked Gareth Kane to come on this week to give you his 10 worst sustainability ideas and how you can learn from them. So here goes. Hi, this is Gareth Kane of Terra Inferma Limited. And today I want to take you through the 10 worst sustainability ideas. You see, I often say that the biggest barrier to sustainability is just six inches wide, the space between our ears. And I'm not just talking about people who don't get sustainability and trying to bring them on board. I often find that sustainability practitioners let themselves down by self-limiting beliefs uh, or dogmatic beliefs, all these sort of myths that permeate the sector, which sometimes have no basis in reality. So without any further ado, here's my top 10. Number one is waste reduction is always better than recycling. This is not true. Not always true, certainly. The waste hierarchy is a rule of thumb. Nothing more, nothing less. It is not based in science or any great empirical research. And I've seen it being used to the detriment of the environment. For example, you might have 100 tonnes of material coming out of uh, your facility a year. And with a bit of tweaking and exercise, you might be able to cut that down to 80 tonnes a year. But if 80 tonnes is not commercially viable amount to recycle, then it all goes to landfill. You would be much better in that case recycling the whole 100 tonnes and uh, nothing is wasted. So don't let sort of the, the, the waste hierarchy uh, bog you down in, in some of those things. Always have a common sense point of view and take the best solution. Number two, zero waste is impossible. I've had people quote thermodynamics at me. The second law of thermodynamics says you can't have zero waste. You always have to have some waste. That is, again, is not true. Nature has shown us over the last billion years of its existence that it recycles pretty much 100% of everything, whether it's carbon, water, nutrients, whatever it might be. It uses solar energy to do it, to get over the thermodynamics thing. But if nature can do it, we can do it. And, but more importantly, zero waste is about a mindset. It's about getting away from the idea that material is waste. It's more about thinking of it as a resource which is wasted. Number three, sustainability must be everybody's responsibility. Well, in practice, everybody usually ends up meaning nobody. So nobody takes responsibility for it. And you will find in your organisation that there will be a very small number of decision makers who have a disproportionate influence on your sustainability performance. As you have limited resources at your disposal, then you should target them. And I know this offends some people's egalitarian mindset, but I'm sorry, if you want to be practical, you've got to focus your efforts on where they make the biggest difference, and that means focusing on the people who can really make that difference. Number four, you should appoint sustainability champions to deliver against your targets. Well, it is pointless to create a network of volunteers to deliver massive change unless they have personal authority. And going back to my last point about key decision makers, you must make sure that the people who have authority to make change have responsibility to make change. 
Voluntary champions cannot do that. The only effective champion networks I have seen are where the volunteers are seen as oil in the engine rather than the engine itself. And uh, it's not understanding that that leads to most champions networks withering on the vine. Point number five. We need to educate everybody about climate change. And I've seen this particularly from sort of people of a more academic bent. I think we have to go out and educate people about all these issues and all these problems. Well, I've tried it and you just get bogged down in the complexity of climate science. It is very, very complex for the non-expert to get a decent handle on. And I find you're much better at talking to people about solutions, about the things they can change in their work life, in their private life, uh, in their house, whatever it might be, uh, and, and taking that positive view and you get more engagement on that than trying to get the, the complexity of the problem across to them. Number six, we will reduce our carbon footprint by 2% year on year. Now that mindset will lead you to diminishing returns because you'll end up spending all your time chasing down increasingly rare 2%. Whereas if you say we will cut our carbon footprint by 50% in 10 years, that focuses your mind on the big picture and the big changes required to deliver that goal. And it also gives you the time to implement any capital projects required to get there. Number seven, we will deliver sustainability via our ISO 14001 management, environmental management system. You see this all the time, company websites. You click on sustainability and they start talking about ISO 14001. Well, I don't take it quite as seriously as the WAG who said that ISO 14001 lets you destroy the planet in a well-documented manner. But even with the new version of ISO 14001, with its much bigger emphasis on, on product life cycles and supply chain, etc., etc., isn't enough. You need a sustainability strategy to deliver on sustainability. Not a management system, a strategy, a strategic document, strategic goals. And for the very best companies at sustainability, their sustainability strategy becomes an integral part of their business strategy. Number eight, then, small is beautiful. Nope, if we're going to have a sustainable society of seven to nine billion people, sustainability has to scale. Now, I'm not knocking small local projects, uh, off-grid communities, all those things, but there's a real problem with scaling those things up. If we want to bring sustainability to seven to nine billion people, we're going to have to have large-scale sustainable infrastructure, not small-scale sustainable infrastructure. We're going to have to do things at scale to bring economies of scale, and you can see it happening with the solar energy, the solar industry at the minute, but the small is beautiful mindset will take you nowhere. Number nine, you won't get sustainability without mindfulness. Um, you know... I have nothing against mindfulness per se, but these fads come along, and it is a fad. We'll be talking about other things in another five years. And then people start crowbarring them into sustainability. So you sort of get this agenda setting, and it's just creating artificial barriers. The first person that said, you won't have sustainability without mindfulness, I said to, uh, to me, I immediately shot back, well, why not? And they couldn't answer the question. If mindfulness works for you, use it. 
but don't feel you have to use it because some mindfulness uh, advocate says you must. And, and that goes for any fads or any new ideas. Focus on what works. Number 10. We would never drop a supplier over sustainability. We prefer to work with them. Well, fundamentally, where's the incentive for the supplier to change if there's no ultimate sanction? By all means, work with them. But if they can't deliver what you want in sustainability, find another supplier. We've got to be hard-headed. There's no messing about here. We're talking about a very serious issue and we can't afford to be too fluffy about it. Okay, those are my top 10 worst sustainability ideas. The ones that I come across again and again that I start grinding my teeth when I hear them. And don't forget, at the end of the day, we have got to focus on what really makes a difference, what works in practice and what brings other people with us. I've been Gareth Kane. That was my, my 10 worst sustainability ideas and I hope they gave you plenty of food for thought. Yeah, thanks Gareth. Splendid stuff. And you can find more similar practical tips and advice from Gareth on his website. Just head over to terrainfirma.co.uk. Well, that's it for another week here on The Better Business Show. We'll be back again on Friday for our 10-minute news digest. So don't miss that. The best way not to miss it is to sign up to The Better Business Show newsletter. Just head over to our website, betterbusiness.show. You'll find a big box at the top. Give us your email address and you'll start getting that. Anyway, until next time, goodbye.